You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Sonic Speaks. I'm here with Kennedy Phillips and Chris for more some of the production and creative team of Magus Elgar, one of my favorite fantasy audio dramas out there. Howdy, gents. Greetings. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> it's good. You're coming from the sunny south in California, right? Are you having as much problems with the heat this summer that we're mm. having here in Nova Scotia? Well, I personally love it. It's, it's awesome, actually. The weather's awesome. That's Christopher, right? Yeah, this is, yeah, this is Christopher over here. Yeah. Hi, hi. Okay. And Kennedy. How about you? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I was planning on trying to do some landscaping, but then my lawn died, and I figured, you know, I might as well just let it lie until it gets a little bit warmer over here, or a little bit colder <laughs> over here. Well, that's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I've, I've, I'm bad yeah, at landscaping. I know, I, I'm starting to get burn marks in my lawn, too, which is, like, really unusual here in Nova Scotia. But we're here to talk about your audio drama. What got you guys involved in audio drama? I guess we'll, let, we'll talk to Kennedy first. Well, um, I started... My love of uh, audio stuff way back in 2007. I had uh, a lot of free time on my hands going to the University of Central Florida and not a lot of opportunities to make film stuff because I was going for cinema studies. Mm -hmm. So on the side, I would uh, create my own little audio drama using, and I can't believe I'm referencing this one, a program called WavePad. Oh, yeah. It was a single audio track program which forced me to. Uh, Basically make sure I did everything right in one pass and then stereo mix um, any sound effects or music that I had in mind for the project. It was bad, but I, I enjoyed doing it. I got 10 episodes of that series, which has been lost to time, I assure you. Um, I went, I, I, uh, for a while, I went quiet on it um, when I went to go pursue my master's degree. And after I was having a lot of uh, projects where I was basically just the, the post-production man, I eventually said to myself, you know what, I would love to direct an audio drama again. It would be an absolute wonderful exploration of my skill set. So I got some people together and foamed at the mouth for about 20 minutes until they said, yeah, sure, I, I guess we could do that, whatever it is that you said. Were you inspired by audio dramas of the past? Like you said, 2007. So that's, did you listen to things when you were younger or did you pick up podcasts or what got you thinking audio drama in the first place? Well, um, I used to listen to a lot of audio dramas as a kid, um, mostly when I was like four or five years old. Mostly, uh, it was uh, something my old kindergarten teacher used to play for like, oh, here's an experience of you on the moon. Oh, here's you on a jungle safari. Oh no, look, a tiger. Oh dear. <laughs> But what really got me into it was a friend of mine had introduced me to a parody of Doctor Who called Professor Nebulous. And it had uh, the it featured the works of uh, Mark Gatiss and Graham Duff, and it was absolutely spectacular. It's not on BBC anymore, um, but I have all of the episodes downloaded on my phone, and I listened to it in the car almost obsessively mostly because i love the sense of humor i love the pacing and it 
reminded me a lot of Terry Pratchett, who is a favorite author of mine. Uh, Terry Pratchett is the author of Discworld, and he's also worked with, um, he's worked with, it's, uh, Neil Gaiman. He's, he's direct. He's authored the Discworld series and has worked with Neil Gaiman to make books such as Good Omens, which I highly recommend reading. And listening to the audio drama they did recently. Did they really? Yeah. Um. They actually absolutely. I, Dirk Mags. Ooh, I might want to pick that one up. I believe he had an audio drama that I listened to as well called Guards Guards. Yes. Which there's a bunch of different interpretations of it. There's live performances and otherwise. So. Based on his book there of the Disc World series, yeah. Yeah, I um, I know that like uh, one of the things that I kind of came had to come to terms with as a creative was that while I was spending my time at Chapman University getting my master's degree, I found out that live action was absolutely not for me. The, the visuals, the production, everything about that it was it was very difficult for me, and I had always had an an eye and an ear for animation and sound design. So I figured if I'm going to make a sound design, mm. uh, if I'm, if I'm a sound designer, why not use something that only focuses on that skill set and work from there? Yeah. Very cool. And what about you, Chris? Where was your inspiration to get into the audio drama world? Uh, well, um, so my original influences, uh, were obviously books on tape. Um, so I started out, uh, I remember when I was younger in elementary school, middle school, I would listen to the Harry Potter audiobooks on tape. Um, and that took up a large portion of my, you know, of my day-to-day -day life. Um, later on, it was more novels, uh, and like one of my favorite audio audiobooks today is Dracula by Bram Stoker. Um, there's a, there's a read, uh, that I have on tape that is just an incredible performance. Um, and there's no, there's no sound design at all, but it's just great. It's just, it's just great storytelling overall. And, and that's easily one of my favorites. Um, it wasn't until much later when my grandmother introduced me to Tales from Lake Wobegon. Um, and I really got into that kind of that that style of of audio storytelling, um, just through a narration by uh, oh god, what was his? I, I forget his Prairie name. Home Companion, right? Yeah, the, the series yeah, the Prairie Home well. Companion series, and that was uh, that was incredible. Um, and I've I knew of audio dramas, but I didn't really become familiar with it until much later on. And in fact, I met Kennedy sometime back in two thousand eleven. Um, I don't know, was that 2011, 2013? Um, so it was about 2012. And, uh, at one point <laughs> I remember I came to you, uh, you, you jumped into my car and I'm like, Chris, I need you to listen to this. And you're like, what, what is it? <laughs> it's on. It's great. Honestly. I, and I just pop it on and start playing. He goes, I have no basis of what this is, but I, <laughs> I guess it's good. <laughs> yeah. What was it that you were showing me? Was it uh, was it actually Professor Nebulous or one of it was Professor Nebulous? The other one was a series called um, it was it was an audiobook called the uh, called the Nightside series by Simon R. Green. I actually remember and that. narrated by Mark Vidor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was fun. And eventually, you know, so so Kennedy had a little bit of influence as well. And actually, if it if it wasn't for Kennedy, you know, I wouldn't. He he, because he was at Chapman University going going for his education, 
Um, if it wasn't for Kennedy, I would have never gotten introduced to sound design and Foley the way that I did. Uh, actually, Kennedy's been one of my mentors and as well as one of my best friends and my own adventure um, in learning about sound design and learning about audio drama. He brought me on stage, on, on the Foley stage and the sound stage to actually teach me how to do Foley and that teach me a little bit about sound design and elements. And then eventually I went to school for recording. Um, but otherwise, some of my other influences uh, was actually um, uh, an audio drama musical uh, called War of the Worlds by Jeff Wayne. Right. And if you haven't listened to it, please do. It's, it, it's a wonderful mix of the moody blues meets, um, I don't know, meets wonderful sound design and just a crazy experience, crazy, mysterious, haunting synthesizers. It's... It still gives me chills to this day, and that's easily oh, yeah, one I've of my it. favorites. It's, it's wonderful. It's brilliantly done. Yeah, though, te Absolutely. Oh. teach might be oh, yeah, really uh, particularly a strong word, as I invited him to come to the Foley stage, threw him on there, got behind the recording uh, recording booth, leaned forward in the microphone, and said, entertain me. <laughs> that's yeah, He's well, been I floundering ever since, together. I assure you. Oh, shush. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Never you mind. It's, it's, it is, it's a massive thing to uh, get yourself involved in the production side of audio drama because there's so many elements that you don't even really consider about until you actually do it. So I, from, a, from, a, from an actor's perspective, Chris, that's where you sort of started. I was interested what engages you in the audio world, especially as an actor, compared to some of the other movies. Okay, so... The thought of voice acting, first off, frightened me because I never considered myself a voice actor at all, regardless of how many, how many times people would tell me, hey, I love your voice. You should consider radio or something. And I'm like, I, I, oh, okay, I guess. You're hearing his voice now and just think about how insane that sounds. Yeah, yeah. Of a voice like his going, I never really considered myself to be a voice actor <laughs> professional. I have the potential for such. Um, the guy over here is like, man, I wish I had your voice. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I mean, I, I'd, hear it, I'd hear it at my retail job. I'd hear it from family members, friends of family. And it was, it was a regular thing. Um, and then... Uh, I was over at Kennedy's house one day and we had done the, he had a a script for a pilot for Magus Elgar, which actually turned out later on when we got into production, um, eventually became episode four. And um, this pilot was kind of an introduction to just what Magus is. He had this script, he had this proof of concept, and I just happened to be over at his house hanging out with a bunch of people. And he said, hey, you want to do voice acting? And at first I wasn't sure, but I, I joined in anyways. And eventually I was Udo, um, you know, uh, and then finally when he, when, when Kennedy came to me and he said, look, I'm making Magus Elgar an actual thing. We're going to put this into production. Um, and I want you to, I want you to audition for Udo. So I was up against, I was up against, I don't know, 500 plus people, and I listened to some 800. Of, yeah. And I listened to some of the other, the other takes the other auditions. And I was like, there's <laughs> some of these are really good. There's no way I can do this. And I, I didn't even have a working microphone at the time. I used my, my microphone on my webcam <laughs> and I sent in, and I sent in this, this audition that, uh, that I, I, I did the best I could, I guess. And Kennedy was like, that's it. That's the one I want. 
And I, I think it even took some convincing for you to, to the producer and director. Um, but you know, here, but well, anyways, here I am, you know, I'm now Udo, uh, on, on Mega Elgar. And I'm, I'm sure Kennedy has more to say about that. I do. I had a co-director named Andrew Cornell working with me on the project, and he was predominantly focused on getting the performances down. And when I came to him and the producer and said, I want to cast Chris Moore to be Udo, they both look at me and said, all right, we, we got a couple of questions. Yeah, they, they didn't believe it. First off, does he have any experience? No. Has he ever worked in the film industry before? Not really. Does he have any kind of acting background whatsoever? Not at all. No. You think this is a good idea? Absolutely. Yeah. Why? Uh, I, I don't know. I guess so, I do deadpan that well. So after, after I listened to the file a couple of times, I, I did say to myself, okay, well, I'm, I'm planning on having Udo do something more than just deadpan, so I'm going to need you to take some acting lessons. Right, and we ended up doing that. We ended up going out to like Irvine or or something, and and we uh, met with a woman named Beverly Bremers, um, who is a voice actress and performer. And working with her was working with her was incredible. Um, she you know she was able to get me out of my shell just a little bit and kind of introduce me to what range I needed to explore because as a as a beginning voice actor you don't know what you're doing you think you're just reading words on a paper I didn't know really what acting felt like um and Beverly with the help of of Beverly and even on set you know Kennedy and Andrew our director um and working with the other voice actors I was kind of able to explore my range a little bit and i i really think that you do hear a difference in my performance from episode one all the way into episode 11 there there is kind of this natural evolution that that comes with me as a voice actor and i think actually um to a certain degree i actually think it suits the character really well because udo has his own evolution that that he goes through from the first episode into episode 11 that's um, a, it's a really important point, and I think I, I'd like both of you to comment on it, and maybe uh, Kennedy could take it first, but a lot of experienced actors don't understand what audio acting, that it's really different skill. And so, yeah. so can you explain to people who, who maybe need a little bit more information, how is audio acting different? Good audio acting is different from uh, any other kind of medium performance. The thing about voice acting is... When it comes to your performance, you have to understand that without any visual aid, you do not have the luxury of body language or a pretty face or a lack of a pretty face to help tell the story. So much of the human means of communication relies a lot on what is unspoken just as much as what is spoken. So when you're voice acting... Everything is in your voice. Right. You have to get the inflections. You have to get the mannerisms. You have to find where your voice is coming from emotionally as much as physically. Nothing was more obvious about this when we first started having Udo in the recording booth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris had never been directed in a recording environment of this degree. We, we rented out a Foley stage to, to do the voices and I had gotten, uh, Chris by himself 
to record some of our opening lines, just to just to get them a little familiar with it and get them opened up. And one of the first lines really he had, hate story. one of the first lines he had to record for me. I really hate this story. One of the first lines. It was. Let me. He, he wants to. He wants. He wants. Time, he wants to dude. silence this. He wants to silence this. I will not. I let want him. to. I want to silence this because. <laughs> Uh, say it, say it anyways, you, but it's super embarrassing. I was a this. beginning voice actor. You take this, I hate and, this. and you stop making excuses. <laughs> because at some point, at some point, every voice right, actor go is going to get up to a microphone and be like, um, that, that was, um, that was, uh, Rika and the Jets by, by, <laughs> by failures where, um. <laughs> okay. 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 So okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. was go supposed ahead. to be. I could use a little privacy. It's a stairwell. All the same. Very well, I know when I'm not needed. Episode one. One of the first lines that Udo ends up saying. And that, that's an episode uh, in one. In a much more casual environment that doesn't involve him screaming. So, his first line, he says, all the same. Right. And I click on the button. I, I click on a button. I go, okay, uh, that was great, Chris. Um, maybe try again. Um, I'd like you to have a little bit of, uh, sar- some, so- some sarcasm, make it a little sardonic for me. All the same. Okay. That was exactly the it same. It was exactly the try, same. Try a little, uh, try a little bit of a smarm, maybe, maybe a little smug. All the same. <laughs> at this point, my internal monologue is slowly starting to tie the noose at what I'd gotten myself into. <laughs> and I go, okay, one more time. This time, I want you to go all out. I want you to make it the craziest, silliest thing you could possibly do. Okay, I get it. All right, whenever you're ready. All the same. And we did that how many I, times I, in I a said, row? okay, we did this like, we did this eight times in a row. And I, I finally said, okay, uh, Chris, this all sounds the same. He goes, I don't understand what you mean. I'm doing a different thing every time. And I go, once you come in here, I, I drag him into the uh, recording uh, control room and I cut all of the files of all of his takes and line them up together. And it sounds like the, That's... am I allowed to curse? Sure. And it sounds like the fucking Borg Collective. <laughs> And he's laughing. He goes, my God, it sounds all the same. And that's been, that's been a running production joke between us for actually since we started the series. And, oh God, it, it, it's super embarrassing now, but I, I'm sure every voice actor goes through it. And yeah, so that, that happened. You should actually write, uh, get a, a clip from Star Trek where it says we are the Borg and then have him do it in perfect chorus. We're the same. There's a record. There's a recording <laughs> somewhere, kind of thing. Just, All just as an, ex, as an extra in you know, my collection that. of audio yeah. files that I had to record, where I've got that clip all synced up somewhere. I just have to find it. <laughs> well, when you do, Perfect. you can set it as your text message ringtone for me. <laughs> there you go. That's great. So, but I, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, I listen to a, a ton of audio drama, and I always can pick out somebody who's a really good audiobook narrator. Because they're, they're, the way they hit the audio drama is totally different. It's all very, I want to speak clearly and formally about right. how this is happening. They're yeah. not coming at it from a casual perspective of this is where, you know, we're involved in this conversation. You would never talk to the, like your best friend like that. So, you know, it's getting the right intonation, being able to articulate what's going on. What's really fascinating, though, too, is I've actually been able to record people do lines 
And then I say, okay, now put a stupid grin on your face and do those same lines. And people can actually hear the grin Mm -hmm. without ever anything being said. So the way you shape your face makes a big difference as well in in the actual recording uh, situation. Now, we've, we've been talking about Megas Elgar here for a while. And before we go, I mean, we've already played on the Sonic Society, I've said before. But for those who haven't heard that show, can you give us the elevator pitch as to what Megas Elgar is all about? Uh, so Magus Elgar is about, um, a, a, a Magus named Magus Thadalor Elgar and his apprentice Udo Malaki, um, through a, through, through a magical spell, they end up, um, or they, rather they, they find this object called the mirror cauldron and went through casting a magical spell. They blow up their tower and get teleported to earth from the magical world of hearth. Um, there they meet Dr. Horatio and Kaylee Fawn, his assistant. Um, they're both physicists. And of course they have their lizard companion Kake with them, who we call what we call a replica. Um, and, uh, so the five of them, uh, kind of get to know each other in episode two and three. And eventually, um, there's, uh, they, they find they have to get back to the magical world. So, uh, in doing so, they accidentally blow up Dr. Horatio's laboratory and, uh, all of, um, all of Dr. Horatio's scientific tools and experiments get transported from our world into the magical world of Hearth. Um, so there now through the rest of the season, um, from episode four and beyond, they actually have to go find, uh, it, it's their job, our, our main cast of characters it's their job to go out and find all of these stamps scientific tools augmented with magical power um so find all the stamps uh before they fall into the wrong hands um and through the show it's this wonderful mixture of comedy adventure action and you know just just kind of we we incorporated a or rather kennedy who wrote the show incorporated a, a lot of great lessons about responsibility and, and growing up and, and, you know, what it means to actually be a Magus. Um, so that's, I think we're past the penthouse on that pitch, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm really <laughs> passionate about it, so I'm going to go if, all out. If I may, uh, <laughs> if, if I may, would you mind if I, if I gave it a swing at that one to, for a little bit more of a succinct elevator pitch? Sure. Yeah, sure. Elevate, elevate it no to problem. the highest of highs, Kennedy, go right ahead. <laughs> Magus Elgar is, to be barbarously brief, a fantasy incompetent Doctor Who. It's about a person who is, ex- uh, it's about an eccentric magician who, in a world of eccentric magicians, experiments to the most extreme degree. And through his experimentation, he runs into two scientists from our world, a world of science and has to work with them to try and recover and diffuse stamps, scientific tools augmented with magical power. It's an absurdist comedy in the likings of Terry Pratchett, and if you're not familiar with Terry Pratchett, it's um, Lord of the Rings as portrayed by Monty Python. I always say he's the Douglas Adams of fantasy. We could always go for that as well, yeah. The big thing about Magus Elgar is that the the premise behind it is a lot about the creative process, that magic is sort of a very thinly veiled representation of that creative inspiration that resides within all of us, and the 
tentative relationship we have with that creativity that hovers between something absolutely beautiful and an addiction. Wow. Very Ooh. cool. So do you have writing Kennedy? Did you come up with like a series of season arcs? Do you have like a very beginning middle and end plan for the Magus Elgar saga? Or are, are you looking at this sort of from an, from a seasonal situation of episode, episode kind of how you build it? I have three seasons planned out in my head. Clearly. I've explained some of the seasons to Chris multiple times, which I had to do that multiple times because I'm not exactly the most articulate gentleman right out the door. There's a real value in telling people your story because the more you say it out loud, the more you clarify elements, the more you get better uh, detail, and the more you rec recognize what works and what doesn't work. A regular practice that I had gotten into while I was making this story was I would invite a friend of mine who I, I valued creatively over to my house, or I'd go over to their house, and I'd say, I'd, I'd grab them by the shoulders, and I'd sit them down, and I said, you're in for a ride. And they'd <laughs> concerned and say, well, why is that, Mr. Phillips? And I said, because I'm about to talk at you in word salad for the next two hours, and I need you to tell me what part of that is good. And they go, I don't think I was prepared for this exchange, but okay, continue. And I would talk and talk and talk and externalize all the ideas I'm having right. out on paper. It's how um, I developed how magic works in my setting. It's how I developed certain characters, certain jokes. Um, and there are a lot of times when I run into writer's blocks, and the best way for me to get out of it is to basically grab Chris, sit him down, and just talk at him for an hour and a half or so. And if I may, I mean, that's how, that's how you came up with a... I don't know if we're allowed to put this in the interview. Um, but if I may, that's, that's how you came up with a lot of the ideas for what you're planning for the second season. Yeah, which I don't want to spoil. Okay, well then we won't put that in. Does that spoil just saying that part? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, oh, okay. I, I'm more, he, he was trying to lead up to being like, okay, what, what happens next? Okay. And I have to lean <laughs> forward and be like, you're just going to have to find out. And that's exactly what, what you're doing. And oh, that's exactly what you did when you, you came to me and, and pitched a lot of the ideas for season two, cause w which you're still developing. And I mean, I just, just having him, it's, it's great because having him talk at me and, and go through that creative process together and actually have, you know, listen and see what he's up to. And then even sometimes challenge it and like, okay, well, are you sure you want to do that? why are you doing this? What's the purpose? What's the reason? How does this work already? What have we established and, and how can we evolve it? Um, you know, that's, uh, that's, a, that is a large, a large part of the creative process. And I'm okay with Kennedy talking at me for, for two or three hours because I, I love the ideas. I love the universe that he's created. Well, that brings me to an important part because you've, you've also taken on some of the duties of the, the production side of things and the editing side of things. You know, how challenging is that for you? Can you speak a little bit to that, to the part, you know, leaving it alone from acting, and now you have to connect with Kennedy as to how the sound of Magus Elgar uh, comes across for listeners? So for me personally, uh, uh, Magus Elgar was a lot of firsts for me, including sound design. Um, so, you know, Kennedy had a very solid idea, or, or rather a very vivid idea of what he wanted Magus Elgar to sound like. Um, and 
so when I was when I was left to designing sound designing episode two and three and assistant sound designing some of the other episodes, um, it was it was my job to make sure that I stayed consistent in the universe. Um, so using a lot of samples from what he had already created and incorporated them in the in the later episodes, um, and even you know I actually ran a lot of sound design by him. I would you know do a do a do a scene and then send it to him and just wait for his suggestions wait for his notes what do you think of this what do you think of this okay i'm working on this i'm working on this sound effect what do you you know what do you like what do you dislike um yeah from for the entirety of the series um pretty much most of the episodes were sound designed by me but there were a handful of them where i am only one person and for the sake of my sanity i had some people sign on and and do like the sound effect pass or or some of the mixing and yeah like and so jason forth. jason foster did episode uh did episode four and he mm -hmm. gave us a he gave us a wonderful idea um where magus elgar actually whenever he enters the room or makes a point he swooshes his robe around whoosh 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 and it like we both thought like wow that's amazing let's incorporate am, that into the rest of the series. I remember my first comment on that was uh, at one point Magus is trying to introduce himself and he is flailing his coat back and forth in, in a ridiculous manner and I say to myself I wish I thought up of that myself. Yeah, because I'm ashamed that I didn't come up with that. No, because it totally suits the character, and there's there's so many elements that that. You know, the sound design team, including myself and Kennedy and, and Nick Fedora and Jason Foster, that we all worked on together in, in collaboration to make, El make, to make Magus Elgar what it is. Yeah, and uh, I think probably one of my favorite moments with uh, Chris working on a couple of episodes, he, he helped sound design two or three episodes. Um, with a lot of my supervision, he came across in episode three an opportunity to make a big explosion. And he was, right. he, was, he was really fixated on making this sound right. And every time that he would send me a pass... I spent like a hundred hours on it. it like every crazy. time he'd send me a pass, I would say, more. And he, he would just, at one point, yeah. he brought it to like this ridiculous conclusion and had like, I think it was 35 separate sound effect stems going at the same time in this one sound effect. Yeah, it's like... It's like forty tracks for one sound effect, and it's forty-five seconds long. It's a, it's like towards the first quarter of episode three, and the and I I spent nearly a hundred hours on that sound effect, and I'd make little bits at a time. And Kennedy said more, 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 and then finally I I spent I I nearly blew out his speakers to the point where it was so <laughs> egregious and so excessive it was borderlining unacceptable. <laughs> he plays it for me. I listen to it. I'm like, yes, <laughs> you, yes. I remember you nearly I, fell out I was of like, your I'm, chair. I'm yelling yes, and then I go, I have some notes for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna have to end this unfortunately shortly, but I just want to hear. I I I heard recently that you've uh, partnered with Fictional Cafe. Can you tell me about that partnership? Yeah. Um, Fictional Cafe is a uh, I guess audio fiction, uh, kind of more publication, um, website. Um, or you can go visit them at fictionalcafe.com, I believe. Um, or just Google fictional cafe. 
Um, so fictional cafe has been great for us in getting a little bit, uh, rather, rather expanding our audience a little bit, um, fictional cafe, uh, the, the, I guess the, the owner of the, or the, the CEO of the website, um, Jack Rochester has been just an amazing contact for us. Um, he's been really supportive. He loves listening to the, to the series. He comes from audio drama himself. He's also an author and, um, he's really pushing audiobooks and he really likes the new market that that's kind of coming up from independent content creators. Um, so being able to partner with him, we've been able to, uh, we've kind of been able to help ourselves help each other out a little bit in in promoting each of our, you know, each of what we do. Um, so fictional cafe, you know, they've got a lot of other podcasts and audio dramas and short films and, uh, written fiction on, on their website. Um, and he sent us, you know, he was able to run a contest for us. Actually, in fact, we're, we're running a contest right now, um, to give out the first season for free to someone who can answer the question of what is the dragon's name in episode one. Um, so you can, you know, find us on social media and give us the answer and we'll give you a free copy. Um, I'm going to have to go back and listen again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, now you're so cheating. what is the dragon's name in episode one? Yeah. Without cheating, <laughs> no cheating. Um, <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> um, so we're, so we're, we're, we're pushing that as a promotional, as a promotional deal right now. Um, and you know, you've just helped us release the, the episodes, get it out to a larger community. Um, so fictional cafe has been great. I love what they do. I've even visited the website and looked at some of their original content. Um, and I just, I just think it's really creative and really fantastic overall. Thank you so much, both of you guys for, for taking the time to speak to us. It's Sonic speaks. No, of course. I really appreciate it. And I hope that Magus Elgar goes not just three seasons, but many more because it is so much fun. At least the world is so much fun to be able to enjoy. Right. So I've been talking with Kennedy Phillips. And Christopher Moore, you have a great evening, gentlemen. And be sure to listen to Magus Elgar at MagusElgar.com. You can download a copy at store.MagusElgar.com via Bandcamp. We'll also be available on Audiobooks.com, Hoopla, Downpour, Overdrive, Findaway, Libro.fm, Audiobooks Now, Audible, and iTunes. Wonderful. Be sure to download your copy today. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Take care, gents. Anytime. Okay. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much, Jack. It's been a pleasure. Nice. Buongiorno, I am Flaudio, and I am very interested in what makes audio drama work. I want to share with you my recipe for a perfect evening, an evening for two lovers, lovers of audio drama. When I plan an audio drama, 
I want to make sure that everything is perfect for us. The soundscape is the most important thing to set the mood for the night. When I lay in a special ambiance or sound effect, it is very important because it can express what I feel so perfectly. A sound effect can speak for the story when words just cannot capture the love I feel. Love I feel for you. When it is dark, I turn on the sound effects. I turn up the soundscape. And the voices can then dance in a perfect state of bliss, where there is no world except the one we make with our love. No time except what is needed for our story to play out. A story that we will make come true. This audio drama public service announcement was brought to you by The Amigos. You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network.